This week's Weed and Grub is brought to you by Lake Grade, sustainably sun-grown under the blue skies of Lake County, California. Lake Grade's five proprietary strains are cultivated by local growers who have dedicated their lives to clean and sustainable growing practices. Every harvest is rack-dried and carefully hand-trimmed from 16-foot-tall trees. Lake Grade gives back to communities in two ways. First, by supporting Last Prisoner Project and the important work they are doing to help free those incarcerated for cannabis-related activities that are no longer illegal. Second, Lake Grade donates each month to reforestation efforts in the fire-damaged areas of California through one tree planted. Every eighth you buy, we'll plant one tree. Follow them at Lake Grade on Instagram and visit them at lakegrade.com. We're thankful for Lake Grade's support. And if you like what we do, please check out the companies that support us. Like Lake Grade! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. Congratulations, Mary Jane. Thanks, Mike. What are you <laughs> congratulating me for? I'm congratulating you for being in the magazine Cannabis and Tech Today under the <laughs> heading of Women and Weed, Insights from Female Comedians Reclaiming Cannabis. Now, how does that make you feel to see me uh, labeled as a comedian? Because it makes me feel wild. What's up? Uh, <laughs> she, Wait, what? She's what now? What is that she's a female comedian. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. <laughs> it's so lovely to be included in that list of very funny women who work in weed, and I'm very grateful. I don't know if I would call myself a comedian. Uh, does it make you feel any any type of way? Threatened at all about the <laughs> life that I've dedicated my life to? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Wondering uh, if I've made a wrong turn at 11 years old when I was like, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then asking you to start a podcast with me, you say yes. I know that you're an incredible writer. You're very smart and you're very funny. And now you're also um, a comedian in the cannabis space. Evidently. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's fucking awesome. Thank you so much. I am very grateful to be included on that list of amazing women. And, uh, and thank you. But it is definitely like... I, it feels a little funny. I, I think I can relate it best to, you know, when I went to theater school, trained really hard for three years, came out, was working professionally. And then I was like, oh, wait, oh, anyone can just say they're an actor? Like someone can, you know, just have done like a, a, a local community theater show and, and really want to be an actor. And they also get to call themselves an actor. And there's no real professional distinction. No, I mean, the that's distinction- gatekeeper-y. That's right. very like. Well, no, but the official distinction is like what you do professionally, what you make money right. at, right? I see. Yes, okay, that's the point. That's the point. So, like, I was, you know, very proud of my 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 work and my trajectory as an actor and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being really outraged that I was like, "Wait, any? But did anyone can just show up and say they're an actor?" And I think this is similarly like, you're you're a comedian. You've dedicated your life to the art of perfecting your comedy, writing, performing, all the things that you do. And, uh, you know, you make money at it. That's your professional life. And you're really fucking funny. uh, (laughs) So you're a comedian. I don't make money being funny. I make money writing about weed. This podcast makes some money. And you're very funny on this podcast. Well, thank you very much. But I don't think it's because I tell jokes. Your hands are between your thighs and you're squeezing them together. You're so nervous. I'm squeezing. Yeah, I'm squeezing the fat part of my thumbs. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I must say congratulations. Thanks. Uh, the picture of you looks incredible. You're in very good company, and it's a really rad moment to be in print in something as um, as as cool as cannabis and tech today. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am delighted about it. Thank you. And I'm glad that the story that I told, I... Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of funny. It's about just being so high that you don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you are a comedian. Oh, thanks. Well, uh, what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? So good. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy. 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 And comedy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're just both professionally funny over here. <laughs> I know. You got business cards. You got a flyer. You're going to be doing your own show at the Improv. Mary Jane Gibson, writer, actor, podcaster, Comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you make comedian a 72 font? Oh, interesting. All right, I see you. It's a podcast about comedy, cannabis, cooking, culture, calling shit out, double comedy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking yes. cool. Thanks. I like it a lot. I would love to learn more about being professionally funny. I love talking to people like you and our friend Ali Lou and, you know, our fucking awesome guest today about Billy Anderson. cracking jokes, how, how, you know, how you approach things, how you make them, uh, you know, sing for, for the audience, what actually goes into, you know, all of the thought process behind coming up with a bit. And, you know, like we get into with Billy, like a lot of it is, um, you know, stormy before it becomes sunny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, a little bit of rain never hurt anyone in their growth. Right. Yeah. We're all plants out here. Gotta water that shit with your tears. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into all of that, can I take a moment for some seriousness? Yes. Shout out to Bobo. Shout out, Bobo. He's Bo. having a rough time. He's having he is having a hard time. I have him on a pillow right now. He's yeah. he's sleeping on a pillow. He went to the hospital this weekend. They he, were great. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember the name of They're the place. They're called MASH. They're okay. on Santa Monica, and I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's MASH. Mm-hmm. And they're an emergency veterinary clinic. I asked if he, they could be his full-time vet, and they were like, sorry, no. Yeah. But they were so great. Dr. Natalie Fording was incredible. And yeah, he, he's just been like, I mean, he's so old. He's 18 and a half at he's this point. so very old. Yeah. And, you know, failing in all the ways that, you know, it just happens naturally. Age is age, yo. Yeah, he's just an old, old motherfucker. But um, he's he's basically got a cold. It seems like it might be a sinus infection of some kind. And he was just sneezing up a storm and his breathing was really labored. And he was just having a tough time. And so... If anyone can send really good vibes to Bobo, we would really appreciate it. Because, uh, you know, he is on antibiotics and he... <laughs> is still stealing Archie's food and he's still like yelling at the top of his lungs for turkey every morning it yeah. seems but at the same time I yeah I just gave him his he's also now on thyroid medication and I just gave it to him in a piece of turkey and he nearly took my hand off when I fed it to him so yeah. he's also okay <laughs> <laughs> he's like sleeping on a pillow eating turkey you know living his best life still yes but also, you know, thoughts thoughts for the old guy 100%. for hanging on a little longer. I would really like to have him around because now that the weather has cooled down, this is the time when he thrives, you yeah. know? It's dark, it's cool, it's cat weather. Yeah. Yeah. A nice little Christmas with the guy would be, you know, have the whole fur fam for a Christmas sounds great. That would be awesome. Also, uh, he ended up in a very famous person's Instagram story this weekend, thanks to you. Wait, what? Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was you who posted it. <laughs> that's so funny that's your news I don't want to share it yeah well I I don't know how many people are familiar he's famous to me and I think he's famous at large now that he's working with Adidas but his name is Kerwin Frost Um, he's kind of like not only an incredible designer but he cares so much about art and sneakers and hip hop he's just like 
in my opinion, a fan first who ended up becoming friends with like him and all his friends have just become famous right. because they're so good at what they do and they care so much and they're all from New York. And, and I think uh, he's 23, right? And, yeah, he's like a, just a magical dude full of good vibes and incredible talent. And when I went to Complex Con, I bought one of his old jackets from the Spaghetti Boys, which is a very prized possession to me now, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And then I put the bag down and Bobo immediately climbed in it. And I was like, yo, this is for the gram. <laughs> so I got to take that Instagram story of him in a Kerwin Frost bag and uh, tagged Kerwin said, happy bag season, Kerwin Frost. Because it is bag season. We're in the heart of it right now. Yeah. And he did share it on his IG story. Absolutely. He did. You know, the thing that I know about Kerwin, uh, after you told me who he was, I looked him up and he named his kid Waffle. Yeah, he did. So, Waffle Frost. How dope is that name? Waffle Frost. I uh, salute you, sir. That is a fantastic name for anybody. Walk around. It's like, that's a top name for me. <laughs> I am <laughs> Waffle Frost. Yeah, I want my name to be Waffle Frost. No doubt. Fucking A. Um, I'd also like to do two plugs right here because they're back to back, but one of them, not that Corwin Frost needs a plug, <laughs> uh, but a really cool sneaker that he he made comes out um, on Adidas on November 17th. It has eyes and a wig and a nose and a mouth. It's very fucking cool. Wow. And also um, new friends of the pod, thanks to our homie Joel Hadley. If you live in LA, there is a pizzeria opening November 16th in downtown LA. Uh, I went to the tasting. I'm going to be dropping a bunch of stories on the 16th on my IG. Or this comes out the 17th. Yeah. Uh, check out my Instagram. From yesterday? From yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> to check out Della Nona, N-O-N-N-A. Um, it's a new pizzeria made by three guys who in the pandemic were like, I'm tired of working for somebody else. Wow. Let's all team up and make our own goddamn pizzeria. So many people making their dreams come true through this, like the hardship of the pandemic. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So big Very deals cool. all around. Everyone's, you know, working to make their dreams come true. Everyone is. Like now you're a comedian. Now I'm a comedian. Listen, <laughs> I can't, I cannot be touched. Don't tell me I'm not funny. What are you talking about? I'm professionally funny, Mike, for money. <laughs> you're in print more than me. Everything Catch is Catch me cool. at Flappers this weekend. I'll be doing a type five. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I yeah, just hear you, you talk about it. I mean, yeah, I kind of do. do. I kind of do. Yeah. It's, it's osmosis just from being around, you know, you and your professionally funny friends. I yeah. like Chekhov and shit. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. 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 I'd rather be a dramatic motherfucker. It's so funny because we tried to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and you were like, all of this yelling just makes me anxious. It stresses but, me out. But, but to you, seeing a gun that you know is going to be used down the road mm-hmm. is quite exciting and titillating. It's thrilling. Yes. <laughs> that makes me anxious. Oh, man. Previewed guns makes me insane. I will listen, if nobody is watching SUV right now. Or SVU. Wait, what is it? SVU. SVU Sorry, yeah. I can't believe I said SUV. If no one is watching SVU right now, give yourself a treat. If you like weird, dark crime, they have taken a really interesting um, direction with that show. And they're making it like really scary and stressful. And I love it. It's so comforting to me. Man. Because SVU is my go-to comfort show that is just like white noise in my ears. I fall asleep to it. It's wonderful. I watched an episode today that was like so disturbing. They're making some really good, upsetting stuff. That's awesome. It's yeah. so great that it's still evolving and still it's hooking you. very well done. It's really like, it's really interesting. They, I think they just must have taken a look at the current landscape of TV and figured out what was going on there. Like, we need to up our game to match all this other stuff that's coming out, especially with all the streaming services. I mean, they're a network TV show and they're like 23rd season, I think. So Dude. just interesting. Shout out to the team over at SVU. And um, I, I'm my dream, dream, dream guest, I'm just going to say it before we move on, Mariska Hargitay, if you would ever consider being on this podcast, please, you are my one dream guest. That's it. More than anyone else. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Let's shake on it and knock on some wood. Okay. I love her so much. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Okay.
Yeah. Thanks. Heck yes. Thanks, now it's going to fucking heaven. It's in the air. Put it I'll in the like, air. I'll be like, hi, Marishka. I'm a comedian. How's it going? <laughs> no. <laughs> I shrink down to the size of a pea. No. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, should we get to the news before we get to our friend? Let's get to the news. Our buds. Isn't our news brought to you by somebody? Yes, it is. It's brought to you by OCB. The Grub Look Gazette is presented by OCB Rolling Papers, the largest rolling paper brand in the world, crafted naturally since 1918. OCB offers a full line of plant-to-puff papers made with sustainable fibers farmed from within a 500-kilometer radius of their facility in France, which is powered by 100% green energy. In 2020, OCB rolled out America's first ultra-thin, slow-burning bamboo rolling papers and cones. They're even burning, no-tear, GMO-free, and vegan. Not all rolling papers are created equal, OCB offers a premium smoking experience that we call Harmony on High. Hi, hi, hi. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers and sample the entire line of products. Plus visit OCBUSA.com and follow OCB on Instagram at OCB underscore USA. Makes a great stocking stuffer if you're starting to think about holiday gifts. Or, you know, just for Thanksgiving, you're going to have to roll up to deal with your family. So Yo, get real yourself talk. some OCB. I think we all know about that pre-Thanksgiving meal walk that you got to do. Oh, absolutely. OCB is the one to walk with. That's right. <laughs> so they are bringing us our news story this week. We're reporting it from MarijuanaMoment.net, our favorite place for a lot of the great weed news that's going on around there, out there, around here, everywhere. 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 This week's story is about uh, Republican lawmakers filing a bill to tax and regulate marijuana as an alternative to Democratic proposals. Ooh, they're coming out swinging, huh? Well, it's interesting. Uh, It's actually really interesting. So Representative Nancy Mace, who is from South Carolina, uh, is spearheading this initiative. Um, Republican members of Congress have introduced a bill Uh, to federally legalize and tax marijuana as an alternative to some of the far-reaching Democratic-led reform proposals. And basically, it's going to deschedule cannabis so that states are able to regulate as they wish. So it'll put the power in the state's hands. Right. It's called the States Reform Act. And under this act, cannabis would be removed from the federal schedule of controlled substances, and then individual states would be free to prohibit, allow, and or regulate marijuana as they see fit, as with alcohol. So cannabis would no longer be illegal federally, but it could be prohibited under state law, like in Idaho, okay. for instance, because right. they're so anti-weed there. Right. Or Utah. Right. Anything like that. Okay. Would cannabis crimes be erased under this bill? Well, the act promises federal release and expungement for those convicted of nonviolent cannabis-only related offenses. Uh, this would include people convicted of federal cannabis offenses only. Again, state by state, they would need to handle it through the state's judicial systems. Uh-huh. Uh, would it impact medical marijuana? The, this act protects medical cannabis for arthritis, cancer, chronic pain, sickle cell, HIV, AIDS, PTSD, and other medical uses. Um, and Representative Mace also pledges to ensure the safe harbor of state medical cannabis programs and patient access. Um, the big thing I think that a lot of people are latching onto is that the tax rate differs significantly from other legalization bids. This proposed bill would impose a 3% federal excise tax on cannabis products in comparison to the 10 to 25% tax rate that has been proposed uh, by Schumer and Senators uh, Chuck Schumer and Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting difference. There's be a lot less money flowing into the government's coffers from this. 
Um, and the tax revenue would be spent going 40% to federal law enforcement. Uh-huh. So that's an there interesting There was a nice sort of little re- twist. Republican angle, right? 30% to s- support small business administration funds for newly licensed small businesses. 10% to mili- military veterans mental health programs. 5% to opioid epidemic response programs. And 5% to underage cannabis use prevention programs. So that's at forty percent. Right, but that opens. Yeah, but they're opening up negotiations at forty percent, right? So you know they're looking at it's just, a more of a twenty-eight. <laughs> what is? What do you mean? Well, like when they negotiate down, like, and it, before I don't want to get in the weeds about the percentages that the cops may or may so not. This get. is just the breakdown that's in the this act. It okay. says forty percent would go to the cops. Okay. Okay. So, okay. I take back what I just said. But <laughs> continuing on. Um. The and another big thing is social equity. This bill does not cover any social equity measures specifically. Um. So all to the cops, none to social equity. Right. Uh-huh. Well, it doesn't specifically cover social equity measures, so it would definitely be left to states to determine um, state-level releases and expungements. But there are 40,000 nonviolent cannabis offenders currently in prison, according to Last Prisoner Project. So it would just, you know, that that's one place where you would really want to have some watchdogs on this to see that they're yeah. doing the right thing. And when you're voting people into office in your state, like yeah. this is the time for you to, to build the machine that you want built. Exactly. Interesting. So where do you stand on this, Mary Jane? I don't know. I think it's really interesting. We should keep a closer eye on it. And we should talk to some people in policy who know about all of the options that are out there right now, currently, because the de- it's sort of like a race to see who's first. I mean, the Democrats are proposing legislation. This is a Republican-led bill. It's also a race for presidential candidacy. Right. Because Biden's not going to run again. Right. So if... There, if there's like, I just listened to a podcast and uh-huh. I will not name the name because it's, <laughs> uh, it's, but I wanted to hear what the other side is doing. Okay. It's important to know both sides, I think, so that I can stay up to date. Right. And what they were saying was like, essentially, Biden's not going to run again. And everyone hates Harris right and now. Everyone hates Harris mm-hmm. right now. So the Democrats are in this very tricky situation where a lot of Democrats are maybe becoming Republican leaning. And so for the Republicans to come out with something juicy like this, but also checks the boxes of the Republican Party is a very interesting play for the upcoming election. It is very fucking interesting. We should keep a close look at a close eye on it. And, you know, ultimately any cannabis legalization, descheduling, all that kind of stuff, it's going to have to be bipartisan. It can't, you know, it can't happen without reaching across Reaching across the aisle. Reaching across the aisle. <laughs> uh, so. Very fucking fascinating. All right, let's report more and more as as more information is um, revealed to us. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of support. You know, Normal, uh, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, they are praising the bill. They've got uh, several other um, weed groups like Americans for Prosperity and the Cannabis Freedom Alliance supporting it. So, you know, let's let's keep an eye on it. Yeah, leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Great. Fine. Good job. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that to me or for you? I don't know. That <laughs> sounded like you said it I'm to I'm madly yourself. trying to think of a joke because I'm like, what if I'm not professionally funny now? So I got to say something oh funny. Like, You're disappearing from this magazine. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she's melting. <laughs> well, speaking of, let's get to our buds of the week and our great guest, Billy, this week. Our VIB. Yes. Do you want to go first or second with your uh, bud of the week? Okay. I can go first, but I do need to pull up their name okay. so that I can read this properly. All okay. right. I'm ready. Are you? Yep. Okay. My bud of the week this week is at poop underscore foot, <laughs> uh, who wrote to us, they work in retail, and they were saying, hey, I was catching up on your app, and I just finished the Outside Lands episode about the pantyhose sock that you, Mary Jane, saw. You saw a loose foot on the bathroom stall floor. Fucking raw. At the 
airport. At the airport there raw. There pantyhose toes on cold tile in an airport bathroom. Woof. Woof. Not so, okay. So at poop underscore foot, and we will be posting this with their permission in our Instagram, um, said, when I was working retail, I went to the mall and I saw such gross stuff at lunch in the food court, including, including this dude who was sitting at a table next to me with his damn shoe off and his gross socked foot on the floor, table, and chairs. Oh, God. A loose sock foot on uh, a food court stool? Uh, and you know how absorbed, like the absorption level of the sock would just like wick all of that disgusting shit up from the floor and then you put it on the fucking seat? Yeah. With your sweat foot grossness? Ugh. No. You keep your shoes on and you keep them down. You can <laughs> put, put shoes on your shoes, for God's sakes. <laughs> I'd be a fan of that. Like overshoes. Did you ever have like galoshes? Was that something that you all wore in St. Louis? Is uh, that a weird Newfoundland thing? Oh, no. No galosh. I know. I understand It's like it, the rubber though. thing that you put yeah. over your shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you I'm saying... a galoshes supporter. I'm pro-galoshes. Nice. I would write legislation. I would introduce a bill <laughs> that states that everyone needs to wear galoshes at all times. <laughs> I think poop foot would yeah, back it. I Listen, yeah. yes, this is a good idea. Well, that's my butt of the week, um, at poop underscore foot. Thank you so much for the message. And uh, now Mary Jane is running for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On my galoshes platform. Um, my butt of the week is Tiffany. Tiffany is at Tiffany CL1 on Instagram. And Tiffany wrote, uh, it's also poop related. Mm. Tiffany wrote, I cracked up listening to your road trip corn loading talks with Mike, which is last summer uh, we were talking about uh, corn loading for long drives. Yeah, you eat a bunch of corn and then when it's all out of you, you know you can get on the road without having to poop. It's safe. Safe, corn <laughs> yeah. loading. It's... it's like running a pipe cleaner through your body. Fucking but brilliant. with corn. Corn loading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I cracked up listening to your road trip corn loading talks with Mike. So since you have a great poop friend, I thought I'd share a great pod with you. The latest episode will resonate with you, I think. And then Tiffany included a link to a podcast called Invisibilia, which I hadn't heard of and I'm so excited to listen to. And it's uh, a recent app that's called Poop Friends. Oh, nice. And it's just about people who have bonded over poop, I guess. I need to listen to it. In, I think it's so what interesting. What is it? Invisibilia? Invisibilia. Invisibilia. Like Thank memorabilia, you. but invisibilia. Cool. Yeah. All about it. Me too. Yeah. Do you know about fecal transplants? Yes. Yeah. Because I'm into CRISPR and stuff. You're into who? CRISPR, like genetic coding oh. that you can do at home. You could do genetic coding at home with CRISPR? Whole nother podcast, but yes. Wow. Okay. We'll get into that another time. Yeah. Or maybe after this podcast, when we just go on one of our high walks and you tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but did you want to talk about? No, I just think that that's like an interesting um, poop angle that I want to know more. And I was just thinking that you're, you and I are such good friends that like I would give you my poop if you wanted it in your body. Would you really? Yes, I would. You would donate to me? I would donate my a poop fecal to transplant? You. Yep. That's a big deal, Mary Jane. That actually means a lot. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I would give you a kidney and or my poop. <laughs> I would do the same. But not both. It would have to be one or the other. Oh, geez. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your picture's back in the magazine. <laughs> Great. Let's get to our VIB. Our very important bud, Billy Anderson. 
So great. He's amazing. He's a fantastic comic. Check out the um, description show notes to check out his Dry Bar special. He's an incredible producer of a hit show all over the country called The Gateway Show. Greatest show. I never miss it. If it is coming to an area near you, walk, don't run. Walk, don't run. Meaning because it, because it's a show where you're stoned and you need to walk carefully. And it could be very slippery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's also just like a really great friend and a really great conversation with him. And yeah, when we finished recording, we ended up just like hanging for another long time and I was like we could just do this all the time yeah this could just be us all the time well as long as it's on the pod so that I can feel like it's productive a mullet hang (laughs) (laughs) let's get to it without further ado here is our interview with Billy Anderson Billy Anderson welcome to the show thank you for being here thank you so much for having me we have I have like three big subjects to talk with you about, but for the first one, can you just introduce yourself and tell everyone about who you are, what you do, and why you be? Yeah, man. Uh, my name is Billy Anderson. I'm first and foremost a stand-up comic, uh, writer, and show producer. Uh, you would, If you're going to know me at all, you would most likely know me either from Dry Bar Comedy, which was my Mormon clean comedy special, or uh, Gateway Show, which was my stand-up comedy show that I produce where stand-up comics tell jokes sober, then we get them high on weed, and then they try to tell more jokes. <laughs> and I've seen you crush it with that show in so many different locations, the most recent being the Grasslands uh, Lounge at Outside Lands, and it was so fantastic to watch you bring that comedy to a bunch of very high people at a very big festival and still fucking crush. It was amazing. It was it was so much fun to do, and uh, yeah, I, I my partner works from home and so i'll get these emails comedy related emails and then she has to deal with me like i'm like a screamer you know like i'm like season two american idol audience member screaming around my house when i got the middle and then she knows stand up in so much so as relation to me we started seeing each other right at the beginning of the pandemic so only in the last six months is she really getting to experience stand-up comedy uh so she she'll just be like that's nice like she doesn't know <laughs> any like why like it's like she's very supportive she loves me but like she doesn't understand like how exciting so but i'm sitting i'm like you do it let me explain I'll do, after you're off work i'll explain to you why this is a big deal <laughs> yeah. and then what did you two just see lizzo together and then she was like oh you're at this festival you know what it's so funny it only t- she was uh she is a huge fan of melanie martinez so she was from the first person we saw there saturday morning completely just like is this what comedy can give you? I'm like, not regularly. (laughs) (laughs) But once in a while. Every now I told her, I I, uh, said, you know, this is going to be a peak. There might be some valleys. Get ready for the valleys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, when you're curled up on the couch, heavy-weighted blanket over you, cat on your back, and watching episode six of Lost on repeat. Yeah, when she's like, you want me to play with your hair? And I'm yeah, I would like that if you don't mind. (laughs) There's a lot to learn, man. When you're coming from outside the world of comedy and you just are sort of, you know, like I am, an observer of of what you do, what you both do, there's a real awakening that happens when you're like, oh, fuck, like comedians are very fucking complicated, often very, um, I don't want to use the word troubled, but like there's, you go, you go to some fucking crazy places in your brains. Complicated. Yeah. Comedians are complicated. Yeah. I, you know, in... If everything's working the way it should, in the like idealized artistic version of comedy, we're looking at the world 
contemplating it and judging it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of person is not often like, oh, everything's going great. Right. You know? Right. What a boring set that would be. You get on stage <laughs> and you're like, great. how good is everything? But, like, ugh. but from an outsider's perspective, like, you know, I grew up loving Carol Burnett and John Ritter on Three's Company and Seinfeld. None of those people seemed like anything other than just like hilarious and upbeat all the time. You mm. know what I mean? So like coming from that outsider's world into, you know, really getting to know some comics, I was like, oh. Yeah, there's a lot going on. The tip of the iceberg is what we all see is this like happy performative stuff. And then the rest is like a whole different... Different shade of iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, Ian Carmel does talk, uh, comedian Ian Carmel uh, talks about this like new form of stand-up comedy, though, that is talking about how much you love something. Like Shane Torres had a set, was it on The Late Show? Uh, the Guy Fieri set? The Guy Fieri set, mm. where he was not talking about how stupid guy, he was talking about how much he loves Guy Fieri and how ridiculous, but then in a way, he's still talking about how stupid it is that you would hate Guy Fieri. So it's kind of goes back and forth. But I do think that that is one thing that I've been trying to be mindful of is everything doesn't have to be dumb, but stand-up comedy in- incentivizes you to think so. Right, but if you can flip it on its head so that you're yeah. coming at it from an angle of like, look how cool this is, even though here's some problems with it, is that what you would rather be performing? I think it's, I think it's more vulnerable to go up there and go like, here's, I authentically love something and let's also make fun of it a little bit, but in a loving way, mm-hmm. is putting yourself way further out there, I think, than being like, you know what I think stupid in this world? Yeah. <laughs> How women shop, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, it's easy to like, I think, pl- like not to be too, you know, high school lit about it, but I feel like if you, when you really break it down, it's just easier to get people to hate with you than it is to get people to love with you in a way. Mm-hmm. And, but I do like that. Like, like Pete Holmes has some, some stuff that's just all about how he loves a thing. Ian Carmel, Shane Torres, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, I keep trying every time I write something and I look at it and I go, ah, it's sort of negative. I'm trying to, is there a way I can say the same thing, but say something positive about it? We are one of my favorite bits of yours that comes to mind. I hope I'm not, that's what like okay, good. Is um is your bit about um mushrooms doing a bunch of psychedelics and then hooking up with somebody? And there's there's some moments and beats in it where it's like, oh my gosh, this is wild. But at the at its core, you're like hooking up with someone who you're into, and there's like there's like a loveliness inside that bit that um that I haven't really thought about until just now. Yeah, I I, I feel weird being a guy. Like I realized because I did the clean comedy special, right? And then after that, I was like, well, don't have to work on clean stuff for a while. Let's talk about everything else. And so I've had people come out to shows where they expect that from me. And then they're like, hey, here's this time I did a bunch of mushrooms and hooked up with a broad, you know, or whatever. But, <laughs> but in that joke, you'll never hear me tell a sex joke where I'm not the butt of the joke. Because it's just like, I don't think people want to hear. Like, I just personally would feel dumb. Yeah. Like, am I bragging or am I talking bad about somebody? Like, it's always because I think if you make yourself the butt of the joke in that case, who are you going to be offended for me? I did it to me. You know, like who are you? Who are you upset for? Yeah. Right. Speaking of bud of the joke, did you say bud or bud? I did say bud. Let's continue with that. Okay. Did yeah. you just say? Did you say bud or bud? Oh, what did I say? I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> Speaking of whatever we said, <laughs> the bud of the Wait, joke. Wait, what? Did you say bud or? Oh yeah, but, I did. But or but, bud? Yeah. What did? Anyway. What did I say? I think it doesn't matter. What did you say? <laughs> I've lost track at this point. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to close the window because these dogs are making me crazy. Well, whether I said bud or bud or butt, we should talk about the Gateway Show because it is one of the 
most successful biggest shows in the country and it is also um, fueled by the idea of cannabis so how did it start where did it start it's your baby so i i don't know how else to set it up except it's it's fucking incredible we uh we we started in seattle washington uh which is where i started stand-up comedy if you don't count the two times i did it in wichita kansas before i left where did Uh, you grow up I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. So I grew up in the South, and then I moved for work uh, to Wichita. And then when work didn't pan out, I was like, screw it. Let's just pick a place on a map and try to move. It was either that or go home. Yeah. So I chose uh, Seattle. But I did, right after the job went uh, tits up, I... I ended up, I was like, I'm just going to go to that open mic. I've always said I would. I'm going to do it. Because that's what comedy, you get to your lowest point. And you're like, I'm, now I'm ready for comedy. <laughs> now, now, you know what? Life can't get worse. Let's give comedy a try. <laughs> uh, and so when when I fell in love with it after even just the first time doing it, I was like, let's move to a city. But then I, you know, I literally looked on a map. I was like, L.A. or Seattle? Mm. And then I was like, L.A. scary. <laughs> let's go to yeah. Seattle. It's entry-level city. I did know? the same. Yeah. I did Seattle to New York to L.A. That so was then, my yeah, American exactly. journey. Yeah. And I'm really glad. I mean, I couldn't pick a place further away than the South, both literally and socially. But we we started, we did a show called Comedy on Trial. So I, I was producing pretty much from the first year that I did stand-up because there weren't a lot of opportunities where I was coming up at the time. They were doing a lot of restructuring in Seattle. A big generation of comics who were doing well moved away all at once, right. which is what happens in smaller communities sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, as they all come up together. And so when one moves, they go, well, now I know somebody in New York. I guess we'll all... And then it just happens eight times or whatever. Yeah. And so there wasn't a lot going on. And I was just like, well, why wouldn't I? Well, you know, Why wouldn't I put on a show? And so we did a show called Comedy on Trial, which was across the street from a law, uh, like a university of law. And it was a comedy competition. So we're trying to multiple puns there (laughs) with that. But we would have like eight comics on and they would judge it. And it was like the first thing we did that was it was I I used to say it was between an open mic and a show Mm because we'd book everybody on it and it would just be a competition and we'd have fun. Right. Uh, But we did when Seattle legalized weed, we did a show called Battle of the Baked which was that same format, but everybody had to get high before they went up. Great. Oh, whoa. And, uh, and I will remember it because we did it like the weekend that they had legalized it. Mm-hmm. So people were like coming into the bar where we did, we did it at a place called Jai Tai, which was our like little 80 person room in Seattle. And people were like handing out joints. And to me growing up in the South where weed was illegal, I'm just like, Oh man, I'm in the big city now. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the, that was like the first thing that, and then once that went well, I was like, you know, we should figure out a format that involves weed because that was like, because what I didn't, what I expected was what people assume the show is going to be is that if people were going to have a bad time, that it was going to be a shit show, that it was going to be weird in like a sad way, but like that, that it, almost like a, um, like a fear factor esque element, not a great British bake off level element, you know, like right. it was going to be mean spirited almost. And then people were like, very like authentically sweet yeah and they were and you know one or two of them were like but more than that i was like you know the the heart of this show was how authentic people were yeah and really fun and so the first time we i wasn't there for the first three gateway shows we did i was on the road at the time but when i put them put them together i had someone else run them and we had eight comics on and they would all do five minutes, and then there was no intermission, which we do. We have an intermission now where the comics go get high, and so does the audience. But it was just rapid fire. Like the one would go, and then once the other eight were done, the next one would come right back up. 
And that was like the first few of them were like that, where they were basically just like a giant showcase that happened to have weed in it. And only when I came back and we started tweaking the format where we were doing like audience uh, questions, which I didn't, I, I have to give credit to Helium Comedy Club in Portland for the text game that we do, which is like, for example, before we go to intermission, we'll ask the audience like, hey, what's the weirdest thing you've ever read in Wall High? And then I'll come back post intermission and it, people tend to kind of come in in waves. So it's hard if I were to like bring the first comic on, they would kind of get screwed because there'd be a lot of like moving. So I'll come in and I'll slowly, I'll start reading through the answers they've given and riffing, mm -hmm. which is fun. And we give up prizes and then it gets everybody back together and then I can bring the comics on. And you can do it in clubs, dispensaries, outdoor venues. Like you've, you've bought, I think a hundred folding chairs to like you, you, you're like the kind of producer, standard comedian first and foremost, but you're the kind of producer who's like, I want to do the gateway show in the city and I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We recently in Reno, we had to rent folding chairs, which if you're a producer out there and you happen to be listening to this and you're like, man, I don't want to do it, but I'd have to rent chairs. Don't do it. Renting chairs sucks. All right. It sucks. <laughs> Every step along the way. All right. Uh, I did it because we'd already locked it down and I only found out last minute that we didn't have chairs. If I'd have known, Reno would have never seen me there uh, because you have to, the, the thing about rent chairs. Yeah, what's the thing about rent chairs? Let's get into that. Here's the thing about chair rental is that you can't just, they don't just poof into the place. You got to go get them and you got to go drop them back off. And that's the part that sucks. Because if you, if you think, think of how many chairs fit in your car, it's a third of that. Right. Anyway. God damn. But I don't, aren't there chair rental companies that can come and set them up for you and take them away again? Yeah, for like $3,000. Oh. Right, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. I kind of want to get into the chair that's racket. That's the wedding then. racket, man. <laughs> this is like garbage in Staten Island or whatever the fuck that racket this is. is. The chair racket in the comedy circles. Yep. We could lock this down, guys. In, uh, we, st <laughs> we started the show in a dispensary in... Uh, in San Francisco because we could not find a space that wasn't insane to rent, mm -hmm. right? They were literally one place said, well, you could charge $60 for your ticket. That was how they were justifying what it would cost to rent their place. And Jesus. I was like, I told them, I go, you know, not that you care, but I just want to say, I don't want to have a show where only people that can afford a $60 ticket can show up. So even, even if that was viable, yeah. but we bought chairs for that venue because they, they just, they had a little, they're like, we'll store them here. But if you want to make this into a venue, you have to buy this stuff, and then we'll let you have the venue for free. Buying chairs costs maybe 25% more than renting them. No way. Yeah, easily. I mean, it was the, the chairs you get, like, you, I think it's a good business. <laughs> this is it's great. great. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's NFT this, Bitcoin that. Chairs. The chair game it's all, is it's hot. It's the chairs, man. I'm going to invest in some fucking chairs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you grow the Gateway Show from a what sounds like became a Seattle staple of 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 um in like 2013 2014 mm -hmm. to doing the outside lands music festival one of the largest music festivals in the country so what does that look like between then and now you know it was very slow at first because the we were in seattle so you're maybe three hours away from portland so that was obviously the next place we tried to do it uh, as we, we started expanding within the pacific northwest and it was that way for years and then in 2017 I just got like a hair up my ass. I was like, I think like the way that the little places we were replicating it, Olympia, Washington, Bellingham, Washington, these small like college towns, I was noticing a little bit of what we talked about earlier, which was that they were bringing the same people in and it was replicatable and it was working. And it wasn't just a, hey, I wonder if this show could work. I'm like, this is, we're making the show not just financially viable, but we're putting on a good show. Yeah, and when you say same people, you don't mean returning customers you mean like 
we were saying how you were like, I think like 25% of our audience is like LGBTQ, TQ, AI plus. Like you were yes. saying like the demographics from place to place are very similar. Yeah, to get specific. So I would, we'd bring it to a new place and I'd be like, oh my, you look around and the vibe of the room, uh, the way the, like how excited they were. City to city, it's like we were drawing in the exact same people. And that's when it didn't feel like a fluke anymore. Right. Is when I was like, okay, well, then we're clearly speaking to a to an audience that feels like underrepresented in some way because our people were coming, they were never going to stand up shows, so we're clearly giving people something that they're excited about. So let's, you know, if you don't ever take risk, we'd never know. So I, I got in touch with Leafly, which was based in Seattle, and that was like to be fair, I say I say things like risk, but they mitigated all of our risk. So in 2017, we did like a 25 city tour. Uh, that went all the way from like right up just under Vancouver, Canada, down all the way to San Diego and as far uh, to the east as Denver and every major city that you can expect in between. And a lot of the cities that we still do monthly and quarterly now came from that tour. Let's dive into your childhood and time before Seattle a little bit because it's very interesting and I feel uh, a bit of kinship with you, honestly, as far as like, um, you know, wanting more i think is the way to describe it yeah i i grew up uh it's really i say augusta georgia a little secret north augusta south carolina it's the same place but nobody knows where that is and it takes more syllables to say so (laughs) (laughs) say augusta georgia but it was i grew up there since i was three years old so i mean it really is home and i you know i i never really felt super southern growing up for two reasons one i wasn't i was always like luckily my parents like we weren't rich but they always made sure to get me like whatever the like lowest cost compact presario was at the walmart or you know and i i say that jokingly but thank god they did almost everything that i enjoy in my life can be traced back to the fact that my parents bought me a computer and supported me early in that way nice even though again no money but mm-hmm. they made it happen they had, they had a thing of encyclopedias they were very focused on like let the kid learn right uh, but I also had like a bad speech impediment when I was a kid. So I had to learn to talk again. So I kind of lost a lot of my Southern accent. Uh, and so I just felt very otherized there. It was a lisp. Mm-hmm. Or I, had a, I had a little bit of a, a big, well, a big lisp that was, uh, yeah. they were like, oh, we got to get that out of the boy. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it immediately kind of like, I talked different and everything. I just never quite felt right there. And, I, my, my father's side of the family, various like uh, fishing Southern and my mom's side of the family is like Catholic, dark, like deep Catholic Southern. So we had both of that on either side. So for most of my young adult life, I was like, I, I didn't know where I would go, but I was like, I cannot see myself living here long term, not even out of hate, just like, what is there for me here? Mm-hmm. And while you're um, dealing with a speech impediment, is this uh, even through high school? In high school as well? This was all throughout uh, elementary school. Through elementary so mostly, school. We mostly got rid of it, but it was just that, like, it changed the way I talked on, like, a fun... Like, you can listen, like, they have old tapes of me talking, and not even just the lisp, just the southern accent, everything. My dad has, like, a much deeper southern accent than I do. And so it it changed. And, like, also, it's just weird to have to go to speech therapy. If anybody's listening to this, has done it. It makes you very, like, hyper self-aware in, like, a critical way. Because, like, you talking, you think of it as, like, for most people, you have, like, a conversational voice that you're allowed to have. And when you go through speech therapy, they're like, oh, that's wrong. The way you feel when you're at your most relaxed, talking the way it feels most right is incorrect. Oh, man, I'd be in my head 
every moment and maybe not say anything at all more times than not. A lot of people do. I mean, you talk to a lot of people who like stammer and stutter. They'll just never, they'll just shut up. They yeah. quiet down. Oh, so. so you don't like, fuck man, you're kind of blowing my mind. I hope you don't mind digging in a little bit. No, but the idea of, the idea of like always wanting to be yourself, but you are yourself is wrong. And every time you open your mouth to be yourself, um, like you got to check it because you're, yeah. you're having to think about the actual mechanics of how you're expressing yourself, right? Like the actual musculature that's going into play and the tone that you're, and the amount of breath, all of that kind well, of the stuff. Lisp, it was a tongue. Like a, it was like a kind of like having a tongue hanging out of my mouth. Right. So you're like, Oh, now I'm not just talking. I'm also like acting, you know, I'm moving my mouth the right ways. And it was, it was weird. It's very strange. I, I wish I had a better word for it than that, but I don't really know anything different. But I remember at the time they would sit me down and like it was, they'd take me out of class. So this was during school. So like the first like third of the day was speech therapy. It was that big. They do it. They actually do that in um, West Virginia and Virginia. If you have too deep of a Southern accent, they'll put you in speech therapy. 100% true. No kidding. Whoa. Because they're like, because if it's almost hard to understand what you're saying, they go, we're doing, you're too close to not the South for us just to let you go around being a redneck about it. And so there's a lot of speech therapy. And the I can't speak for how much there is everywhere else, but there's a lot of like, you're not speaking right. At least there was more than 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Did you know you were going to choose a place that was going to be weed friendly? Was that something that was a part of the call for you to no. get somewhere else? No. No, I wish it was. I, I've, I've talked about it a lot on stage, but I did not enjoy weed when I was back home because it was horrible. And I, I make the joke on stage. I thought maybe, well, you were 16 trying to buy me weed. Maybe that's why it was horrible. Then I went back home and then just for kicks, I was like, hey, can anybody get me weed? Still bad. <laughs> I, I said, if I did a scavenger hunt where I was like, find weed this bad, you guys would fail it before you found, like you'd have to like... <laughs> <laughs> go to like go out in the woods and find like a wild grown plant it still wouldn't be that bad wow um so i i had it but i think in a lot of ways i was more of a drinker and for me the one thing about weed i liked was that i'm like oh i have this thing that i'm not allowed to have hey party like i and I, you know as a as, as people who host comedy shows sometimes i feel like when i'm hosting a comedy show it's the same muscle i'm flexing that i used to host when i'd host like parties at my house where I'm like, I'm trying to make sure everybody's having a good time and I'm presenting these things to do, right? I just loved being the guy that could be like, anybody need a joint? I got weed if you need a joint. And they're like, look at this guy, mover and a shaker, this guy. <laughs> Social lubricator over here. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, but when I did move, I'll never, I'll never forget. I was carrying it around like it was still so illegal because in Wichita, it was still much better in Wichita. But I lived in Wichita for a year and in that time, I'd had like some better weed but it was still illegal. It was still, you'd get arrested. So I'm still I'm carrying it around in my coat pocket. And uh, and people were just like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you can smoke weed in front of that cop down the road. He won't care. And it was like, that was when I started to fall in love with weed. Where I'm like, oh, there's no anxiety about it anymore. I can just enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I, I, basically from 2017 on, I have been way more of a pot smoker than a drinker. I pulled way back on the drink and all the things that, drinking gave me pot gave me better yeah that's awesome and you can like do it while you work exactly and do it on stage yeah and do it not on stage everywhere yeah you can't get up and have a little breakfast glass of wine but you could definitely like <laughs> i don't stop some people <laughs> smoke a morning bowl and then have a productive day full of you know all the things that you wanted to get to and you don't fucking feel terrible yeah i uh 100 and i was never like i was always like a 
like a binge drinker when I would drink. I wouldn't drink, wouldn't drink, and then I'd drink a ton. And with weed, I feel like instead of taking that and be like, tonight's the night we rage, I'm like, I'm have a nice evening. And then at night, maybe I'll smoke a little bit, have a sandwich, relax. Like it's so much more of a productive, positive drug than alcohol ever was. Yeah. And I have to say, when I, when I watch comics at your show, at the Gateway Show, and they get too high, like you were saying earlier, they just get really honest and they'll say things like, I'm so sorry, I've lost the thread and I don't know where I am, but maybe now I'm just going to tell an anecdote about my day because that's all I can do. And it's actually lovely no matter what. It always ends up being very charming and funny, you it, know? It like strips the ego away. Yeah. And then I think, like I've had comics tell me, they go, it, they feel that feeling of how it is to just be authentically themselves on stage. And it's helped them to have breakthroughs in their stand-up where they're like, I'm just trying to be that way all the time now. And I'm like, yeah, because honestly, you trying to power it through like they don't feel that you lost the thread takes you further away from the audience and doesn't bring you closer to them. You think you have to impress them. I think most of the time, most audiences want to have a good time and they want to like you. And if you have that, that that's a deeper level of confidence to say, I'm going to actually be me because I believe you want to like me and I believe I'm funny. So I'm going to be authentically me as opposed to I've meticulously crafted this thing that I'm not going to deviate from and if I mess up, I know you'll hate me. Like there's like, I think that takes it when it's done perfectly, it's amazing. But I think for most people having a little bit more authenticity in your act would never be a bad thing. Wow. Word. 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 Uh, act three that I wanted to talk about, speaking of authenticity, that we all have in common. Mary Jane and I are on Weight Watchers right now, and I uh, am 25 pounds down. And we were talking on the upcoming Gateway podcast um, about how you lost weight and have been keeping it off for quite a while as well. Yeah, I I was uh, heavy most of my life, like from like puberty onward I would say like or maybe a little bit before then and it had it had always been something I didn't like about myself that I was very self-conscious about I also had a chin strap beard which was never a good look Oof. uh but I didn't know Oof. my mustache that's could the grow. No, that's the no mustache that's if I shaved just my mustache off right now I would have a chin strap ginger chin strap beard wow not a good look but I was doing my best uh <laughs> but if you're like why don't you shave it I'm like that's my jawline I don't have a jawline otherwise some people wore their weight well. I did not. I feel like some people, you see them, and I'm like, oh, you, you're just like heavy, but you wear it well. I just look like bloated. It wasn't a good look. I'm very pale, which is not a good thing for like a heavier guy to be, and I would get very rosy cheeks and everything as a result. Um, and so there was a comic named Aaron Kirby in the Seattle scene who wasn't like a huge guy, but he was talking, he was all about keto, right? So I thought that I would try it, and I lost. The, I mean, I lost most of my weight within a year. How much? Uh, uh, one hundred and fifteen pounds. Wow! And the first forty came off in such a quick time. I was worried I was sick. Like it, it, you could, I could physically feel it. Now, with keto, it's all you know. If anybody doesn't know, it's like uh, low carb, uh, high fat, no sugar kind of a thing. You know. It's more that, and it puts you into this ketosis. I don't know the science behind it, all right? But I will say this, is that it worked for me because it was already pretty close to what I was eating. I have a heart to people go, do you recommend it? I go, ah, you know, I don't know if I'd recommend somebody eat three pounds of chicken wings a day to be healthy. Right. It didn't feel healthy, but you know what? It, it did drop the weight off of me. And I lost it so quickly. And I was doing stand-up at the time. So I was going up on stage every day. And this, was, this would have been around 2015, 2016. 
So I started stand-up and I was a stand-up comedian for years at my previous weight. Then I lost the weight within a year. And uh, and it was wild to see people treat me different on stage. Have you felt that? Because you, you do stand-up, you're on stage and you've you've had some weight fluctuation. Uh, yes, but it's more internal for me. I think I've I carry it like in my stomach in a way that is like I'm built where it I just like might have a gut or I might not. So for me, it's more of my own personal confidence on stage and and being okay wearing a t-shirt on stage and not a t-shirt with a hoodie with a coat or something like that more than I've been treated differently. Yeah. I don't know. I, I A part of me, I get my confidence shaken on how sure I am about this depending on the day. But I mean, like I said, 40 pounds in a month, it was, I went from an extra large bordering on a 2XL down to a medium large, like in a month. No, well, not in a month, within a short, within three months. Right. It was a lot. And, um, and so I did feel like people treated me differently. I think there's an, and again, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I think there's an inherently like fat, we are a fat phobic nation. And I think people are judgy physically for all of the modern technological reasons, but also I didn't wear it well. Also, I didn't know how to dress. And I think when you don't know how to dress and you're a dude who's kind of a dweeb, you're going to have better options at large than you do at 2XL. And so I did feel, I felt, I felt like I was telling the jokes the exact same way. I hadn't gotten the confidence yet because it all came so quickly. I didn't know what was going on that I just felt like people just wanted to like me more. Are you still keto? No, I haven't been keto since um, the pandemic because the, I got so poor. I couldn't afford to buy that much pure meat and things like that. I was eating chicken nuggets. I was on a chicken nugget diet most of the time. I put on and then lost again, luckily, like 20 pounds during the pandemic, too, because I was eating like garbage, which we all should have had a right to do. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. I was like three weeks into the pandemic when I realized, you know, when it started to come out for all of us that it was going to be going for a while. Yeah. And I had that like teetering on the edge i'm like oh should i start treating i'm like you know what you've lost your job you've lost all your money you're in a bad place eat the chicken nuggets just have <laughs> them dude like stop yeah. beating yourself up i mean have you not suffered enough eat them they're chicken nuggets you're not a king you know yeah so i i just yeah same as you like i did the vr stuff which was helping me to stay like in motion but other than that i didn't i tried not to beat myself up about my which was huge for me it was like a breakthrough for me because i've i have like a lot of body issues so yeah, I feel you on that. Same. Yeah. Straight up same. Well, sure. on, on the Gateway Show podcast, we were talking about how um, I, in Chicago, I got a coupon for buy one, get one Dunkin' Donuts dozen, and I would go to Dunkin' Donuts, and I would buy two dozen donuts, eclairs, cream-filled, all of them, and I would eat all of them until I got sick to my stomach, and then I knew that it was okay to just puke them all up and then I would go into a sugar coma because I didn't want to feel anything anymore and I would just pass the fuck out afterwards and then be sick all night. Wow. But I got so much satisfaction from eating every single one of those fucking donuts. There's something for me in when I've had those experiences of like planning to do it and the pleasure that you get from the anticipation that is as big as the act itself. Like, you know, that that feeling of the leading up to and then the the consuming of. There it's two parts of the the act that was my my binge eating was both it was compulsive and impulsive mm -hmm. compulsive and then i'm like oh i can't we'll get that donut mm -hmm. you know what i love those pastries you can buy at gas stations that are like little bear claws that you can't those find honey anywhere bunnies? else those mm -hmm. honey buns they're 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 that same brand but mine okay. are like the bear claws with their strawberry and vanilla cream in them they're horrible <laughs> they're, they're 600 calories i've never once eaten it sat there and been like 
I feel great. Good choices. <laughs> I just feel sweaty afterwards. Yeah. And but to me, that's a compulsive. I'll buy it, and then I'll be like, when I get home, I'm gonna eat that. Like I just know it's in there. And then impulsive for me was the like, be, like I'm gonna eat a whole thing of baked beans, or so. it was like imp- like where I'm like, you don't need it anymore. Put it away. Right. No, I'm gonna finish it. You know, because I just can't stop myself from the impulse of it. I just had a massively um, stressful. Well, I don't even know if I want to say that, but I was just at home for a week well, <laughs> with my enough, mom. Enough said. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so uh, and I was texting with Mike, and I was like, you know, my stress diet right now was a tray of grocery store sushi, which in Newfoundland, which is where I'm from, is it's not like great California sushi. You know, it's like it's you know California rolls made with some like weird imitation everything. Um, they don't have a deep sushi culture in Newfoundland. They do not. <laughs> they have delicious fresh fish, but not not a deep sushi culture. And uh, it was like a tray of grocery store sushi, a big fucking bag of Cheetos, not the flaming Hot, just the crunchy kind, and a really good bottle of Cabernet. And I was like, this, th- what does this actually say about me? Like, this is what I've chosen to make myself feel whatever it is that I need to feel right now because of the stresses of being home. How strange. I don't know what part of my brain was dictating it, but... I love the idea of like, what is your comfort food? Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what is your comfort food say about you? Cause I would say the same thing. I don't know what it says about me that those bear, like my partner makes fun of me all the time about, she's just like, are you eating one of those horrible things? And she'll, she was the one who pointed out, she's like, you've never once afterwards been like, that felt great. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but during it though, oh man, the moment I'm, it's like the texture, it's every part of the experience Yeah. that only, if there was another, I've eaten other brands of them no good this one brand this one flavor is and it's 100 percent compulsive mm-hmm. so yeah, i don't know what it says about us but i can tell you one thing like, the longer i go I, it's like a workplace accident sign i have on my wall where i'm like yeah. how many days since i've eaten one of these garbage pieces of food <laughs> <laughs> how many right now what are we looking at a year less than a year when was outside lands? <laughs> okay <laughs> Less On than the, a month. Yeah, yeah. We drove back and I was like, I've Papa earned a treat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got to wrap up for this one, but please come back, man. Please come back anytime. anytime. All the time. I'll have to get you on the uh, the Gateway Show podcast anytime you want to do me. Oh, absolutely. I would love that. Um, do yeah. some plugs? And I can't wait to see. Yeah, Gateway Show's plugs all the things. Uh, well, we're very happy by the time this comes out. Within a day, they'll announce it. But yeah, SF Sketch Fest. Uh, that's uh, the... Ooh third weekend in january in san francisco uh we're gonna be at piano fight on that sunday i would love for you guys to come out you can find all of our information at gatewayshow.com on instagram at gateway comedy or check me out at billy tells jokes fantastic so good and you can follow us at weed and grub on instagram wg at weed and is our email hit us up in the dms hit us up in the emails leave us a five star review on itunes helps so much helps so much uh i'm gonna try one of those bear claw things Great. I'm going to go get some grocery store sushi. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.